Coming up, my interview with DC's own celebrity chef, Brian Hill. As a native Washingtonian and a graduate of Calvin Coolidge High School, Chef Brian acquired a love for cooking. Growing up in the rough neighborhood in Petworth, he realized that cooking would be his way out of poverty. He then decided to take his talents to where else? Los Angeles, California, where the rest was history. He became the man, catering parties for the stars. His skills were such that he started being the personal chef, cooking seven days a week for superstars such as Eddie Murphy and Mary J. Blige. The word spread quickly, and he was asked to star on the hit show Top Chef, oh yes, season one. He then turned Save Bar Rescue to Save Bar Rescue. Oh, this is going to be a good segment, because if it's always real talk, you know it's going to be real. Say the, what you've done. And, and for those that, that you know, are out there, We've known each other for, for, a, long for a long time. time. So long when we start time. talking, we have always real talk. We have an always real talk yeah. tonight. Yeah. And we go back a long way. You are my brother. Like, you are my brother without the, the mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are my <laughs> fucking brother. Excuse my French. <laughs> but but, but I, want to, I want the viewers to, to walk through a couple things. And that is Chef Brian, celebrity chef for the stars. Walk me through how you get involved in food. Just yeah. food itself. Like... Walk me through that. Okay. I like food, oh, I, but yeah. I, I, I right, uh, right. And, and no, you do like food. I do know that. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, from, I, I, from, I, from the age of thirteen, <laughs> I know that. So great question. All right, I'm gonna start it just like this. My mother burns hard-boiled eggs. Okay. There were two degrees of cooking in my house. There was off and high. Everything was burnt. My sister burned things. My. You used to say that, but I didn't really. No, no, no. It, it was real. It was real. So okay. it's real. Like, it's, it's real talk, like, right I, now. I mean, so, you said that when we was young, but I no, thought no, no, you just Kwame, didn't. I just I thought mean, you just wanted to. I mean this. Like, wow. So, wow. and it's crazy because her father, Buddy, literally would sit, I would sit on the counter, and he'd be standing, and he had all these vegetables all over the counter, and he'd have his cigar, and the cigar would have about this much ash. And he's like this. You know, like them, you know, blowing smoke, and all these veggies he would turn into cuisine. And I watched this. I sat on the the vinyl tables. The vinyl tables. You know what I mean? You know, you already, that was you know, that, you know that was eighties. That was in eighties. Yeah, exactly. Early eighties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Early eighties. So and and early and late seventies. And okay? late seventies. So here's the craziest part. He made everything from scratch, and it was all. I just want you to know, he didn't put any kind of byproducts in. Okay. All this shit was vegan. So the sauces the were 70s. actually vegan. And this was this was this late is, 70s, early 80s. This is real. Wow. So now my my grandfather is putting is making food from scratch. I'm watching this as a young child. I don't really know what this means, but clearly it inspired me. Yes, my mother burns hard boiled eggs. So I'm pretty sure that's what got me to this point. And, and, and so I can blast off into that culinary, you know, uh, experience. Now, you, I, I've heard um, doing the research 
that you was watching PBS or I know and I used to talk about this with right, y'all too right. with you and Colin. And, 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 and let me tell you, when you talked about PBS and talking about some cooking show, I couldn't pronounce the name of the person, whoever the cooking <laughs> show was after. So you know what I'm talking about. You see, I, yeah, I, I didn't do that. I, right, didn't, right. I, didn't, I didn't watch PBS. No, you were the kid. But that you, watched you PBS. knew I watched PBS. Yeah, yeah, because you used to say I was just there watching PBS. Yeah. I can't come out right now. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what was he? You know, why? I didn't Why'd understand you that on a Saturday. Day. On a Saturday. <laughs> Well, so tell me about your PBS. Okay, so you. when you and I and Colin weren't washing cars, we I literally was at home because this was my solace. So my father left us when I was nine, police officer, fourth district, um, you know, and, and the creed of a police officer, as you well know, because you deal with the city, is to protect and serve. Well, he didn't protect or serve us, which is sad, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, it's not like, you know, I, I'm angry. Because therapy helps, by the way, just so you know, 10 years of it, just so you know, like real shit. Yeah, you, you already know this anyway, but I'm just telling the, the viewers. What I want folks to understand is me watching PBS was solace. It was my way out of all the crazy shit going on at the house. So literally, you know, Jacques Pepin, Julia Child, the Galloping Gourmet, Graham Care. Um, you know, and then, of course, PBS progressed. And then there was um, Lydia Bastianich. Um, as a matter of fact, her son is Joe, that was one of the, um, the, the judges. And I, yeah. I, I just researched it because I, I, we're doing a show. Right, right. So I was like, I got to know something. Right, so, right? <laughs> so I figured I, better, I couldn't pronounce all the names. Right, but right. I, I looked them up and I said, But you okay, know what I'm talking I about. I know now. what you're talking about. Now, well, you mentioned it many times, for, for a 30, long time. For a long time. For a long time. Kwame, all of this shit inspired me. And it kept me where I was like, okay, if I just keep working, let me just keep working. Because what happens is no one else is cooking. So it's not like it's a bad thing or it's but you, weird. But you said someone was cooking initially. But, but my grandfather only. You understand right. what I'm saying? Like okay. that inspired me. But my mother, when they cooked, they cooked to live. You understand? I'm cooking because I love it. Got it. Of course, and of course you happen to eat what you... You know what I'm saying? The, the finished product. Exactly. I would start with oodles and noodles. Now, on the West Coast, they're called ramen noodles. Okay? Oh, we call them oodles and noodles. Oodles and noodles, okay? Oodles and noodles. Was it 10 for like a dollar or something like that? I don't know, but cent? oodles and noodles got me through college. Dog, I would, like you and I, <laughs> shovel snow, rake leaves, leaves, wash cars. So you didn't even know, actually, how poor. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even poor. I was po. I had to save up to be poor. You knew I wasn't like well off or anything, but you didn't know how poor I was when we were younger. Like I was so poor that you talk about oodles of noodles during college. Dog, the oodles of noodles was my filet mignon like every day. It was it was my roasted pork. It was my you know apricot glaze you know uh, 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 boning chicken breast. Oodles of noodles was every day. Pork and beans was every day. You didn't know this. Colin didn't know this. This shit, like, it hurt me because you had a parents that loved you. You understand? You understand? Like, it's not like my mother didn't love me. But the, but the difference was, we would go out, and we're gonna we come back. We're gonna talk about, you know, these experiences because these experiences are real. They are real. Here in Washington D.C. Right back. Okay. D.C. Zone, Chef Brian. <laughs> Welcome back. We're with Chef Brian, and now we're here talking about, is it the Penn, Penn Tower, Tower Hotel? Hotel. Yeah, it's right across from Chopping Hut, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. 
um, University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia Hospital, directly across the street, Civic Center Boulevard, as a matter of fact. Now, that's a story. It is a story. Did they just give you the job? Did you yeah. walk in and ask for the job? What happened? Um, I was courting this woman like she was my girlfriend. I mean, this woman, Marsha Rafig. How did you how did you even know who she was? I am reading one of the black publications, I think it was Ebony Magazine, and she's on the cover. Mm -hmm. And I look at this woman and they, they say that she's one of three black female general managers of a hotel in the country. I knew that was big because I had already kind of been in the culinary industry a little bit. So I was like, wow. So I know that hotel. I know where it is. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to call every day for 62 days in a row. And every time I call, you didn't call for six. Every single day, like it then was again, my you job. You probably did call. I did. <laughs> like it was my job. I lost the corniest thing ever. But listen to me. So her personal assistant would say, "Hi, Brian. How are you?" Uh -huh. I'm like, "Marsha, refig, please." Um, Brian, listen. Um, she'll call you back though. But you know, just know that you call every day, and you know she's busy. I said, "I know she's busy, but just give me five minutes. Just five minutes." I give up on calling. I said one day on Friday after school, after classes, I said, you know what? I'm just going to go over there. So I go to the front desk to the Penn Tower Hotel, and there's a black woman to the far left. There are two um, front desk agents. And I'm like, hi, I want to see Marsha Rafik, please. They're like, um, what is this regarding? I'm like, well, you know, I've been seeing and reading about her, and I want a job here, and... I heard that she's one of three So you just black, went straight, you just went straight, straight to, to the source. Straight to the front desk. Straight, straight to the front desk. So there's this black woman to the far left of the front desk. Mm -hmm. Now remember, I only saw this woman in a magazine. So I don't really know how she looks if I was to see her. I mean, if she said, you know, Marsha Refig, I'd be like, oh yeah, of course you are. So to the far left, but I don't pay attention to her, actually. And they're like, well, um, who are you? I'm like, I'm Brian Hill. So she looks at them. They look back at her. I look at her. I look back at them. And then she says, so you're Brian Hill, huh? Come with me, son. So it was her. It was her. She takes wow. me into the hotel restaurant. She says, what can I do you for? How can I help you? I said, I want to learn everything there is about the hospitality industry. She said, okay, I'm going to give you a job as a, as a um, bellman. I said, oh, a bellhop? She said, that's, that's a little old. She said, we call it a bellman now. Okay. Okay. Between... The time I got the Bellman job to 11, 11 months later, I had seven different jobs. She kept just bringing me from one job to the next. She said, okay, you're finished there. Let's okay. move on. I didn't understand why people hated me at the rest at the hotel, all the other employees. I didn't understand how great it was to be hated back then. Now, this was now, this was, she was the general manager of the hotel. This is 91. 9192. But she was the general manager. General manager. And she just said, hey, I'm going to... Did she realize you've been calling her all that Of time? course. Because she said, oh, so you're Brian Hill. So she says, Kwame Brown, like, so you're the guy that's been calling me 62 days in a row. So now she just puts me in her, takes me into her wing. Who was your last job there? Um, front desk supervisor. So I went from... Bellman. Bellman, busser in the restaurant... Um, server, um, uh, room service waiter, room service supervisor, um, prep cook, salad, saucier, 
on to um, sales, training sales, sales, catering sales. Okay. And then front desk agent and then front desk supervisor in 11 months. People hated me. They hated me. So you were there, then you decided so that when she left. Well, she left. She left. She went to, um, I think, to. Uh, she left the hotel. Went to yeah, the other hotel. To the other hotel, or or to, to to be a professor, I think, something like that. And when she left, I knew I had to, because I was like, the jig is up for me. I was like, they hate me anyway. I'm like, I'm gone. But that was my real education, even though I dropped out of Temple University. So that was your degree. That was my degree. No, I'm, I'm listen to me. That was your degree. You know it. Looking at me, because yeah. I can see the way you're looking at me. Yeah. Kwame Brown, what she did for me, that literally changed the course of my life for the better. That's amazing with those that are out there that have the ability to touch one life could actually do. She changed so my life others. times 10, man. So you was at Temple, and then how did you get to L.A.? Because I want to get to this L.A. and the stars and, and all this stuff because, you know, that's, that's yeah. a good place to be. When we come back, we're going to talk about Chef Brian, Chef Brian's pilgrimage yeah. From Washington, D.C. Now we know you're in Philadelphia to Los Angeles, California. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Always Real Talk. We're with Chef Brian. Chef Brian, now we were talking about your voyage from Philadelphia to, because you're, you're still Brian. Yeah, I'm still not, Brian. I'm not, not Chef, Chef Brian, Brian at you're all. You're not celebrity Chef Brian. By no means. You're just a Brian that was persistent, begged for a job, Got the job. Essentially. Did what you need to do in the yeah. job from the nation's capital, I might add, from Washington, D.C. But walk me through how you got to L.A. Um, I knew, even though I loved Washington, D.C., and people, they liked my food. They didn't get it. And after 9-11, I knew that I needed a change. And so I said, you know what? I think this is a place for me because I had already gone there. It was an all-expense-paid trip for two. I won it at Union Station. I beat 700 people for a game show, game show called Hollywood Showdown. I went to L.A. in 2000. Hollywood Showdown. Hollywood Showdown. So game show on the, on, the, on the Game Show Network. On the Game Show Network. So you won and got a free ticket to yes. L.A. Yes, and then, then, then went to L.A., won some money on the show, and then the exec producers were like, you're really fascinating. We love you. You should stay a few more days. I was like, okay. They took me to parties in Malibu and Beverly Hills and in the Valley and introduced me to real folks, like real heavy hitters. And they were like, so when are you gonna move here? I was like, I ain't moving here. You know, I'm like, I live in DC. I love DC, you know what I mean? But after 9-11, I'm like, you know what? Let me just see what's happening. Cause I'm a risk taker. Like I'm in, Oh, I, you, I, you, are, you know. I remember when you was a carrier. Oh my God, I was a bicycle messenger, you're right. Shit, I remember. I was, about risk I was I was too for one day. I know you said that. You're like, when, you're like, when, nah. when I got an accident, that was it. You're like, nah. You're like, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I got done. hit three times, and I still was like, nah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna kill this. So, so literally, the best thing I knew that could really, I didn't know what it would really do for me. I knew it would change my life in some way. But when I got there, I saw that everybody, and you already know this too. When I say it, you go, your eyes are gonna light up. Folks don't really want to work there because you got people driving Bentleys and Maseratis and Lamborghinis and they want to be those people as soon as they get to Los Angeles. No, dog. It takes you showing up early and leaving late. What I discovered very quickly, 
no one else wanted to work. So when I would do events and I'm early, they're like, what are you doing here already? I'm like, you hired me. That's why. I'm like, what are yeah. you doing? So yeah. people kept calling me. Calling you back. Now, they you kept calling doing, me. You said doing events. Was you catering? Catering. At the time? Yes, exactly. So exactly. How did, you get, sure. how did you get in? What was your first? How did you get into actually catering? You know, we, Very good we're question. at the hotel. Very good question. Working 69,000 jobs. Yep. <laughs> and then you was on a game show. Yep. Transition to LA. And then you was in LA. But how did you get your catering gig? The only thing I thought was, I'm invited to these parties, right? And the food is always subpar. I'm in the Hollywood Hills. I'm in Beverly Hills. I'm on Mulholland Drive. And the food was just so bad. I mean, like, real bad, Michael Jackson. And then I'm like, yo, dog. I'm like, I know I can do 10 times better. So I kind of pony up to the host or hostess. I'm like, listen, you know, next time you want to do an event, you know, I'm a chef. Um, you pay for the food. Don't tell anyone, right? And I'll just do it free of charge. But if I kill it, can you talk about me? Bet. Done. So, so they, they paid for, they paid the, for food, the food. And all you had to do is come prepare it. Prepare it. So and you I told them, hey, this is, what, this is what I need. Yep. And you gave them a list of them, told them yep. to bring everything. They either gave me cash or we went to the grocery store right, together. Yeah. Anyway, they paid for however it happened. They paid for it and then you came in and you just cooked. And did you just prep the food or did you do No, the I was thing? there and I stayed throughout the entire event, the entire catering event. And it's always some, you know, beautiful place, you know, and the big, big girls in bikinis and, you know, dope cars pulling up. And everyone was like, oh, you're the chef that made this? And then the host or hostess is like, that's him. Next thing you know, you have a card? I sure do. One of the women that was at one of those parties that changed my life and got me started in being a personal chef to celebrities, she was at one of those parties. She saw me at the Standard Hotel downtown Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And I'm having my adult beverage and she's like, wait a minute, are you the chef that did that event? Boom, I'm all in drive. I was like, yeah. She said, that fish was unbelievable. She said, I want you to cook for my client. Now, mind you, you know, people always say that. You get into L.A., you're like, mm -hmm, yeah, whatever. She yeah. said, here's my phone number. Here's my card. Her name is Charmaine. She said, call me tomorrow. It was a Sunday. I was there. I was doing a little Sunday fun day. Next thing you know, I call her, and she says, why don't you come over? She gives me the address. I get there. It's a place called Beverly Park. Okay. Gated community. The least expensive home there is $7 million. The most expensive is $35 million. It's a gated community. That's it. Done. What was you driving when you pulled up? Um, a Golf. A Volkswagen Golf. <laughs> and it was Eddie Murphy. I didn't know this. I got the job right then. That was my first job, 2003. I got to LA in 2002. So your first job was with Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy, cooking five days a week. But you walk, when you, when you walked in, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about when we come back, that experience oh, yeah. working with Eddie Murphy, we'll get into Mary like J. It. Barge, we'll get into some of the Mariah, Carey, and, Mariah yeah. Carey. We'll get into all that when we come back. We'll be right back with DC's own celebrity chef, Brian. Okay, and and so you was telling us about your Eddie Murphy experience. Oh. <laughs> and your, first, your first job, you get it to the gate, you, you, you get to the door. The, the door. Okay, so it, it, 
ironically enough, you set the door. Well, the, we're driving a we're driving a Volkswagen Golf. I'm driving a Volkswagen Golf, okay, gate. with DC plates on it, by the way, just so you know, <laughs> just so you understand. And I come, I pull up to the gate, and there are like six security guards just for the front gate. I mean, it could very well just be two of them, but it's six of them. So, even though they know I'm coming, they need to take a picture of my license plate, my ID, everything. So I go in and they tell me exactly where to go. They give me a little map. I pull up. I mean, there's ample parking. I mean, this it's literally just a rotunda of parking, okay? And then you see the front door. The front door, if you think about, like, in your wildest dreams, the biggest and widest door that you can imagine, that kind of gothic look, the door is probably, was probably like 16 feet wide, maybe 12 feet wide, just the front door. Just how was the kitchen? Opening the door, the door doesn't open like other doors. The door opens with this swivelness. This, it's, it's, the, the, the hinge is in the center and it opens like that. So you can go on either side. Uh-huh. The house, I hope you're sitting down, 25,000 square feet. He was actually leasing this house at the time because the other house was being built, which would be 35,000 square feet. You know who used to live in that house before him? Vanna White. Crazy. They were leasing a 25,000 square foot home. Leasing it. I'm like, where am I? I'm in Los Angeles. So, kitchen, how, long, how long had you been in Los Angeles at that time? Um, one year. Okay. Yeah. So all this was still new to you? Yeah, very new. Going into a 25,000 square foot home, like, I had never been in a 5,000 square foot home, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let alone 25,000 square feet. The, I know this because um, the, um, the maintenance guy, that he had a maintenance, or on-site maintenance guy, the kitchen was 1,100 square feet. 1,100, the kitchen. And all the accoutrements, the, 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 the cupboard, you know, the, the walk-in. Yeah, everything. 1,100 square feet. So you were in heaven in the kitchen. I was in heaven, and I had unlimited budget. But you know what, though? I want you to really understand something, Kwame. You already know this from me. Because he's a black man, I did never call him Eddie. And, and the assistant said, no, you can call him Eddie. I called him Mr. Murphy. Because first of all, he's black. Number two, I didn't want him to think that I thought we were friends. Because I showed up early and I left late. If they needed something, if like Sugar Ray came over or like Katzenberg came over, Jeffrey Katzenberg or whoever else came over, I had to make food for them as well. When his boys came over. So when, and, they, when they come in, do they just say, hey, this is, I like to have this. And then oh, you, you just know, make it whatever it was. Literally, on, on demand. So sometimes. But you I'm have just, to have the food there to actually make it though, right? Yeah. Or they would go get it. No, but you can say to them, say, listen, you know what? I don't have this right now. I can go down the hill. And then you give them an ETA. You're like, okay, um, so you want this omelet or you want this, uh, you know, the jerk chicken, because I would do the jerk chicken bone in on the grill, and the grill was inside, okay, just so you know. Huge grill, okay, 42 inches, the actual grill. And um, so Paul Mooney was asking, I think, for um, Belgian waffles. And the actual Belgian waffle maker somehow died. They only had one in the house. I'm like, huh? So I had to go down to William Sonoma to get a Belgian waffle maker. And I told Paul Mooney, I said, give me a couple hours. He said, I'll be here all day. 
I can't do the voice though, really. But you do. You you get where I'm going. I get what you're going. I literally yeah. got back there in like under an hour, and I whipped up the 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 mix and made them some, those these beautiful Belgian waffles. And the next thing you know, what happens? Everybody else that was there. So I'm making waffles. This is like after lunch, by the way. And I'm now now mind you, as you're making uh, breakfast, you're starting to make lunch. As you're as they're eating lunch, you're starting to make dinner. Right, because you're prepping. Exactly. So he's now messing up my entire rotation because now I gotta make. I think I made seven Belgian waffles. Now who else was? Who it was you? You didn't do us by yourself. Oh, so. all, all by myself, no help. So you have to be efficient, and you have to run that kitchen like a restaurant. Every time, you have to make certain it's clean, it's functional, and things are marked, dates, etc. And any time they gave you money, I put a receipt. See, remember, this is still a job. So they're checks and balances still. Mm-hmm. And I, as a black man, I want people to understand, you work for another black man or woman or a couple, mm-hmm. don't act like you're friends. Just because you're black, it doesn't make a fucking difference. Like, you're still, that's still your employer. Say, Mr. Murphy, Mrs. Murphy, Mr. Brown, how are you, sir? Good morning to you. Don't act like you're friends. But I tell you one thing that made me loosen up, because I would always on Saturday, all the kids would go, all the five kids would go and go shopping. And the oldest was Bria. They were nice. They all called me Chef Brian, sir. They were so respectful. They were amazing. On Saturday, I would have the radio on or, or a CD, you know, because it was 2003. Right. So I put the CD in the <laughs> boom box, right? And I'm, I'm playing Sinatra. So Eddie Murphy comes down and he always came downstairs for two things. Uh, orange slice um, soda or Lipton um, hot tea and literally he would he would uh, come down and he would hear my music and I had the summer wind on Frank Sinatra the summer wind came blowing in <laughs> from across the sea so he came down he started singing a song and this this counter um, set 20 no 40 42 chairs around right so I'm in the center and so he starts singing. He said, now you, chef. I'm like, it lingered there. It touched your hair and walked with me. He's like, now my turn. <laughs> All summer long, we sick. And he gave me a hug over the counter. I was like, when I have kids one day, I'm going to tell them that I sang the summer wind with Eddie Murphy. Well, I mean, let me tell you that what a phenomenal story. But more importantly, native Washingtonian in Hollywood, in L.A., with the right? stars, making food, coming from food stamps to making food from the stars. I we'll like be right that. back with Chef Brian. I like that. Welcome back to Always Real Talk. We're finishing with Chef Brian. Chef, you know, your journey back to Washington, D.C., what, what made you finally decide to come home? I know we're the greatest city on the earth, so I know yeah. you was dying to get back, but what... What really, what did it? What was that one thing that said, it's time for me to come back home? Well, I mean, what I always had a dream in my mind was to come back and be the hometown boy that made it. That's everyone, I don't care, woman or man. LeBron That's James. their dream. You, you, exactly, LeBron. Yeah. So I'm the culinary LeBron. I wanted to come back home because I made it. And I knew that I wanted to be downtown because... I mean, I'm going to be very real with you. Like, it was for namesake. I, like, as a black, 
person, a black entrepreneur, yeah, you can you want the money, but you got to think 30 years from now. So I want to continue my brand and make it stronger. So all of the craziness going on here, I really wanted to make certain that people could talk about me more. Now, I could have been on U Street or 14th Street Corridor or, you know, uh, Egg Street Corridor. But for someone to really talk about you every day and, and you know, the Washington Post to come to you, um, you know, Huffington Post to come to you, you've got to be in it and mix in it. Was the money there? No, not really. I made some nice money, but it wasn't big as if in comparison to uh, Egg Street or, uh, you know, or U Street or 14th Street Corridor. So I came back because I'm like, I have a great menu. I cultivated a great menu. I knew that I would make certain to cultivate also that customer service so those two would meet and merge. I wanted folks to get something they had never gotten before, which is my idea of comfort cuisine. Well, I tell you, I mean, look, wonderful restaurant, but coming back to D.C., opening a restaurant is not an easy task. No. It's not like, you know, I understand you didn't have any lobbyist that was helping you figure out Nobody. to navigate the system Nobody. from getting your business license to trying to figure out DCRA and getting Jesus. to the health department, the human service department, you know, going Which to you know the about. Department of Employment Services. I mean, it takes a lot. Yeah. And for you to be on K Street, you know, K Street is the home of the lobbyist. The lobbyist. And uh, to be that close to the White House and... To open up a restaurant, what you had to have some tenacity to do that. That's what and you said. And you had a liquor license too, right? Yeah, yeah. And you had a liquor license. Yeah. And so when we hooked up, I said, "How did you? How did you? How did you get this?" You See, know? people don't understand. Like, Kwame, you hit me with. So who helped you? I was like, I went to DCRA, and I said good morning. I shook hands. I was polite, and literally, I got everything. Probably, it, it was almost. It was almost crazy the way I got it and the way I get all my permits. And it's always the legit way. Of you're, course. You're just saying that you 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 went in there with kindness. With kindness. And they accepted your kindness and gave you kindness. Yep. And sometimes we hear horror stories about DCRA and what's going on down there. But to, to know that this administration and this mayor has stepped at the table to make the right type of changes. Because you had a very good experience. Everyone, have, doesn't, no, everyone doesn't say I don't have I, I don't have one bad story to tell you. No one was disrespectful to me. They didn't push my application to the side or, or, you know, say, you know, screw you. I went in there with respect and I got respect back and my permits and licenses and et cetera. Okay, <laughs> my, my CFO permits, you understand? <laughs> Everything opened up. What, what were some of the challenges once you opened up a restaurant? Because you did something I think is, is unique. And you, you and I talked about this mm -hmm. in terms of hiring folks that live in the city, but more importantly, people that live in southeast Washington, and, and it's a long distance from Good Hope Road to, you know, 19th and K Street Northwest. It is. And to see these young folks you said it. that were looking for a job, because some people, times people say these young folks, they won't go next door to get a job. No. But you ran into these young folks that actually have been knocking on people's doors from Good Hope Road southeast all the way till they got to your shop. That's the best. When, when you said it a long time ago, like what, a year ago, you were like, so you're like, Chef Brian, how did they find you at 19K? Yeah, because when, I don't go down at 19K. Like, I'm, I come down to come to your restaurant. To come to my restaurant, that's but it. Other than that, I mean, D.C. is so hot, you can go anywhere right. to get anything. But to see these young folks somehow get there, 
they personally How was sought that me out. Like you said, they were knocking on doors. They just happened to come into Chef Brian's Comfort Kitchen. When they see this black face, and they're like, this guy has to be the owner. So they're like, but they're already defeated. And what they're thinking at this point is, they're not going to get the job. Because what they're thinking too is, there's this black-on-black crime of like, he's not going to help me. Kwame, it is now, it is my purpose times 10. It's not like I won't hire other people, but the brown people, they seek me out. And they come to me, and then when they start to get to know me, they're like, I think he's on my side. And I'm like, yeah, I am. But walk through, let's walk through the, the experience you had with a young person coming in the restaurant. How did that, how was that experience, looking for a job? From the time they came in, they were defeated. They gave me the feather shake. How do you say defeated? I mean, they were defeated. They, they, they're, they're, so you and I, we look each other in the eye. Right. They were like this, this is the shake, the feather shake. This is the feather shake. They, they, it was almost like, I was like, why are you shaking my hand like this? And I did this to them. I was like, give me a shake, you know? Right. They're like, oh, okay, sir. And they were like, well, you probably won't hire me, though. I was like, that's it? That's all you got for me? And they were like, well, you know, I mean, uh, you, you look like you have enough employees. I was like, so who owns the place, you or, or me? Right. You know what I mean? Like, wh- which, wh- what side you're on here, okay? So once I said to them, and I would ask them directly, do you mind showing up early and leaving late? And they were like, but they didn't ask, like, you know, what do you mean? I was like, you don't understand what I'm saying, do you? I said, if you're doing it at 8 o'clock, what time should you get here? Oh, at 8. I said, eh, 7.30. If I need you to stay later and maybe you have a date, what do you say to me? Oh, I know what you're saying now. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. and so I'm literally like teaching them like, this is how it's going to be. So you know, this is how it's going to be. After the first month, because I hired them, I hired as many as I could, purposely hired brown kids, and make no mistake about it, I will never apologize for hiring and having all brown kids. It's not that I don't want to hire anyone else, but whoever comes to me and I see that they're underserved and underprivileged, I'm going to make certain that I teach them. It is now up to me. It is my, it is, it is. It's up to us. The, the weight. The, yeah, yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it is it's, up to us. It's, it's up to us. And we come back, we're going to talk about two items. One, we're going to talk about the menu. We oh. need to hear the menu story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And after we hear about the menu, we're going to talk about next steps for celebrity chef Brian. Welcome back to Always Real Talk. We're here with celebrity chef Brian. Now, We've heard such a phenomenal story. What's next mm-hmm. for Chef Brian? Well, we're gonna keep it. We're gonna continue to keep it positive. I am closed now. The restaurant is closed, um, and that's what happens when you are the person that puts all the money in. I had no investors, so it was just me. And, I, and most people didn't know that. Most people know that you were a black-owned restaurant down on 19th and K, no debt. No you debt. You owned it 100 percent. You operated 100 percent. Yeah. And it was all your money in. Yep. Yeah, and and I don't owe anyone shit now. Okay, <laughs> okay. Even though I'm closed. Okay, um, I literally, I know I have to reopen. I have to reopen for a number of reasons. I have to reopen because I know now, as you said, us as a community, 
and especially black men, I'm not discounting black women, but black men have to approach other black kids, male or female, to do that village, to act as that village, because it's so needed. I came back here to Washington, D.C., and yes, I love D.C., but we've got to reach out to these young guns and say, listen, man, or young lady, you got to do better. Like Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you do better. That's the only way you can make it. Mm -hmm. So I got to reopen Chef Brian's Comfort Kitchen. There's no two ways about it. I mean, I even put on my little Facebook page, you know, kind of a grassroots operation, you know, to try and reopen. And, reopen. and, and, and yeah. you're, looking, you're looking for anywhere in particular in the city. We might have someone's out there watching it. And they're looking, uh, you know what? They're it. Let me say, I know that you, you know, tried hard to open up your second restaurant in, you know, east of the river. Yeah. And unfortunately... And I wanted to desperately. And unfortunately, we got... You know, hopefully people there will start to understand that it's okay to have a person of color come in and bring fresh food to a place that actually needs it. Yeah. But we, we'll, we'll save that for But I'm glad you comment. said that, actually. I'm, I mean, because it's, it's always real talk. Yeah. You went to a person of color to talk about leasing a spot, and somehow it didn't, it didn't work out, or they didn't seem to be interested in bringing yeah. fresh food over to the east of the river, which is... Which it really amazes me, but that's going to be for another show. But that's what people want to talk about. We got to keep it real, yeah, here, yeah. right? We don't have fresh food east of the river because, you know, there are people that don't want to go over there. We have it because people that own land and people that own buildings and people that own shopping centers, you know, they like Seven Elevens. Yeah, and, and, right? and that's they, not good. <laughs> it's like not. It's not good for you at all. And it's not good for our community. No, not at all. Let's let's move on from there, but. As you're looking for a new spot, are you looking in any particular area? You know, I've been fighting you I know, to come east I know, of the river. I know, but that's I where I want to so be. I want to be Washington, there. Washington, D.C., it's a place that, you know, has very few sit-down restaurants. And I think, you know, all your stuff is fresh. I don't think people understand. Everything's made to order. That everything's made to order. Everything is fresh. They see this chicken slider, and they think, oh, it, I like chicken sliders, by the way. <laughs> you do, but But I yes. know I went in there with, and I've been in your restaurant several times, and I went in, and I, I just didn't look anything else in the menu because I love the chicken sliders. And then realize when I start tasting that fresh salmon salad and fresh. that fresh grilled trick chicken salad, I've never had a salad that fresh, ever. Ever. Except I the ones that. I make in my kitchen. Right. And I still don't make it quite like that. Right, but still, you you you, yeah. you got the premise. I got the premise. And so your next steps is to look to open up a spot. And let me let you know that you know we're always here to be as helpful as we can to get that message out. So if there's somebody out there and you got this place that you want to lease, Chef Brian, let me tell you what, you have the best restaurant owner you possibly can imagine we're going to get the word out for you i want that and knowing you for you know Shh. over 40 years yeah. knowing someone that started off on welfare knowing someone that left their home at 16 17 then decided to still finish high school yeah. when you was not living at home yeah. you was living with college students you mm -hmm. still finished high school and then still got into college. I know, right? And then took a path to says, hey, I got to figure out how to make this thing work. And you've done a phenomenal job. So you're DC Zone. We're proud of you. I'm proud of you. Always Real Talk is always here to be a platform to support what you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show. Man, it's my pleasure. Hey, you're my brother. One of our own. Always Real Talk, Chef Brian in the house. Thanks, you man. didn't bring no chicken salad. No, I didn't. I, I didn't bring anything. I, I, I came up short this time. I had the chef jacket on, but that's it. I know. I barely got that, didn't I? We'll be back.